Hello and good morning. Welcome back to the West Bank Bible Church podcast. I'm here with Pastor Merritt. Today we'll be studying the book of the Revelation, the second half. We'll be starting in chapter 12 and we'll do, we'll have several of these. Uh, but before we begin, as is our custom, let's remember 1 John 1 9 as may or may not be necessary. Okay, Pastor Merritt, take it away. Thank you, David. Earlier we talked how God had juxtaposed Old Testament and New Testament scriptures with remarkable accuracy, though spanning many years. This was done by comparing Revelation 13.1 with Daniel 2, verses 31 through 47, and Daniel 7, verses 1 through 14, and 8, 1 through 27. The years, again, span from 600 B.C. to A.D. 96, or from Nebuchadnezzar to the Apostle John. So, in essence, we've studied the first half of the book of the Revelation, and uh, now we're embarking, or soon to embark, on the second half, and you recall we went over the outline, and you know there's going to be a redundancy here, but one half will have an emphasis on events, and the other half will have an emphasis on the characters. Uh, so actually, this was done by comparing Revelation 13:1 again with Daniel 2, 31 through 47, and Daniel 7, verses 1 through 14, and 8, 1 through 27. Before continuing, of course, we uh, used 1 John 1, 9 times so that we would be taught by God the Holy Spirit. And now we're ready to receive that teaching uh, and, and begin a study of Revelation 12, 3, and 4. But first, let me give you an expanded translation of verses 1 and 2 of Revelation 12. Expanded translation. Here we go. Revelation 12, verses 1 and 2. John speaking of what he saw. I then saw an exciting and wondrous scene in heaven. It was obviously a sign or a series of signs. There I could see a woman representing Israel. She was clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and a crown of twelve stars on her head. These things representing the twelve tribes who will ultimately rule. The woman, Israel, says verse 2, was pregnant. She cried out in pain and she was about to give birth as she was about to give birth to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now for analysis of verses 3 and 4. KJV and then the NIV. And then we'll look to a uh, eventually an expanded translation. 
So here we go, the King James Version. Verse 3 and 4. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now the New International Version, remember one is 1700s, the other's in the 1900s in terms of time of translation. So the NIV is generally considered to be the more modern, obviously. Now verses 3 and 4, New International Version in the 1950s. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail, excuse me, his tails swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. A point or two. One, the phrase, ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns, in Revelation 12.3 is a reference to the description of the Antichrist rise to power as ruler of the Roman Empire. We call it the revived Roman Empire because obviously there was a Roman Empire and uh, in eschatology we have a revived Roman Empire and, and the phrase seven heads refers to the seven hills of Rome. So from the description given in Revelation 13, 1, and the parallel references in Daniel chapter 2, 7, and 8, it is clear that the revived Roman Empire is in view as the last of the five prophetic Gentile empires. The red dragon is clearly a reference to Satan. Satan is also called the dragon later in Revelation 12:9, and I'll read, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. It is clear in Revelation 12:3 that the dragon represents both the empire and the representation of satanic power behind the empire, certainly to include its leader. The color red may indicate his murderous characteristics. As noted, the seven heads and ten horns refers, excuse me, refer to the original ten kingdoms of which three were subdued by the little horn of Daniel. Chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, in chapter, or excuse me, ver, end of verses 20 through 24. The little horn is the world ruler of the great tribulation who reigns over the revived Roman Empire. Now let's take a look at the NIV of Daniel chapter 7, 
verse 7 and verse 8, In a terrifying night vision, I, that being John, excuse me, in this particular case being Dan, we'll call him Dan and kind of personal deal <laughs> David. We've gotten pretty tight. <laughs> oh, Dan, I saw a fourth beast more terrifying and frightening and powerful than the other three. It had huge iron teeth. What it didn't grind with its teeth, it mashed with its feet. It was different from all the former beasts. It had ten horns out of its head. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them. And of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Now let's drop down to verse 20. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell. The horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. All right, David, take the word. You tell us more about the tale of the dragon. All right, before we begin, I want you all to know that I did a couple of hymns uh, while Pastor Merritt was doing them. I did them silently because I thought everybody would enjoy that more. All right, point five. All right, thank you, David. <laughs> the tale of the dragon is declared to draw a third part of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. This seems to refer to the original fall of Satan, as described in Isaiah chapter 14. The dragon is seen waiting the birth of the child with the intent to destroy him as soon as he is born. The allusion here is unmistakably to the circumstances surrounding the birth of Christ in Bethlehem and the attempts of Herod to destroy the baby Jesus. It is significant that Herod, as an Edomite, was a descendant of Esau, an unbeliever. Whatever the motivation of the king, Herod fulfilled historically this reference to devour her child as he was born. Matthew chapter 2, verses 16 through 18, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. 
A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Before moving forward, let's provide an expanded translation of verses 3 and 4. Suddenly, there appeared in heaven an enormous red dragon who was obviously Satan. He had seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. The picture depicts the mechanics of his rise to power as the leader of the revived Roman Empire's headquarters in the city of Rome. Then there was a flash back into eternity past when Satan and a third of all the angels rebelled against God. In this rebellion, both Satan and those angels falling with him decided they could run things better than God. Then I saw the dragon standing in front of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Humanity, who was about to give the birth. Satan had indwelt the old fox Herod the Great. Satan planted in his sick mind a plan to devour Mary's child. The pronouncement came in the year 4 B.C., when the order to slay all male infants in Judah who were two years of age and under was given. All of this was done in order to avert God's plan of redemption. Now let's see what we can learn from chapters 5 and 6. KJV, verses 5 and 6. And she brought forth a man-child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. NIV, again, chapters, chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. She gave birth to a son a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. The woman identified as Israel in verses 1 and 2 is said in verse 5 to bring forth a man-child who is destined to rule all nations, but 40 days after his resurrection, he was translated to God's throne. Though expositors have in the main agreed that the woman is Israel, there has been considerable difference of opinion on the identity of the man-child. Some have contended this is the New Testament church destined to reign with Christ and that the act of being caught up to God is a reference to the rapture. The woman with child is a reference to the Virgin Mary. The child is no doubt a reference to Christ himself. This is without a doubt and a preferred representation. The Greek words for man-child emphasize his gender. The most favored identification, therefore, is Christ rather than the church, which would be feminine. As the, the uh, Alfred, one of the experts who teaches 
eschatology, he has pointed out the man-child is the Lord Jesus Christ and none other. He is described as destined to rule all nations with a rod of iron. This is a reference to Psalm chapter 2, verse 9, where it is declared, quote, Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. A similar expression is found in Revelation 19, verse 15, where it is stated, He shall rule them with a rod of iron, a reference to Christ. His rule over all nations with a rod of iron is to be distinguished from his rule over Israel, which was to be one of benevolent character. Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. And I shall read. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Luke 1, 33, continuing. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. The catching up of the man-child to God and to his throne seems to be a portrayal of the ascension of Christ. The Greek word here is harpuzo. Sometimes it's used to mean to seize or to catch up as a wild beast would its prey as in John 10:12 where the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep again a reference to false teachers catching God's sheep now John chapter 10 verse 11 12 13 and 14 a description i am the good shepherd the good shepherd referring to Christ giveth his life the sheep, but he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and he leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. Now verse 14, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of my sheep. However, the same word is used for the rapture of the children in Thessalonians 4.17 where the church is caught up to heaven. Verse 17 says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The same word is likewise used of Paul being caught up to paradise as described in Second Corinthians 12, 2-4, compared with Acts 14, 19. 
1 Corinthians 12, 2 through 4. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable word, words, uh, plural, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Now verse 19 of Acts 14. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul threw him out of the city supposing he had been dead. Now H.A. Ironside in uh, one of his famous books uh, has written the following about this episode. David, why don't you take it from there and tell us about H.A. Ironside and how he describes the event that I just read. I believe the real Paul was in the third heaven. God said, as it were, I want to show you what I have in store for you. Up there, Paul did not know whether he was in the body or not. If in his body, he did not know it. If out of his body, he did not miss it. He was in paradise and heard unspeakable things, which is not lawful for a man to utter. How long he was there, we do not know. Also, we find Arpuzo used of Philip being caught up in Acts chapter 8, verse 39. And it reads, And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the Enoch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. If the identification of the 24 elders is properly to be regarded as the church in heaven, it would seem strange to mix metaphors by having the church described as a male child, especially when the church is regarded in Revelation chapter 19 as the wife and bride. Revelation 19, verse 7 through 9. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. There is no good reason for not identifying the man-child as Christ and interpreting the drama of verse 5 as the panorama of his birth, life, and ascension. The fact that he is caught up not only to God, but to his throne, is another indication that Christ is intended. Attention is then directed to the mother of the child represented once more as Israel. 
Here she is seen in the time of great tribulation, fleeing into the wilderness to a place prepared of God where she is protected for 1260 days. Again, the exact length of three and one half years. There is obviously tremendous time lapse between verse 5 and 6. But this is not an uncommon occurrence in prophecy. The first and second comings of Christ are frequently spoken of in this same sentence. And as much as Israel is in comparative tranquility and safety in the first three and one half years of Daniel's 17th week, Daniel's 9.27, the reference must be to the preservation of a portion of Israel during the Great Tribulation. Maybe this is a second, maybe even the third time we've seen this term 1,260 days, and that is half the tribulation period using the Jewish calendar, which is a seven-year period, and uh, half the tribulation period is 1,260 days, and it is called the 70th week. So, uh, excuse me for interrupting, but I've seen that several times, and I think, well, maybe there's somebody out there who doesn't realize 1,260 days. Excuse me. No, you're good. Pastor Merritt, take us on with Daniel verse chapter 9, verse 27. All right. The Antichrist will establish a seven-year covenant with Israel in the middle of the seven years. He will break the treaty and no longer permit the bringing of sacrifices and offerings into the rebuilt temple. And in a wing of the temple, he will set up a statue of himself. It will remain there until the end of the tribulation. And if you go to our website, westbankbiblechurch.com, you will find underneath the uh, doctrine itself, uh, Pastor Merritt's study books listed, and if you will look at the 70th week and uh, click on it, if you will, as I would say, mm -hmm. and it will come up in a written lesson and a chart. And that particular chart will tell us that they Israel has been told one time in history to rebuild the entire city. And if you go to March the 14th, 445 B.C., and you march forward uh, 173,880 days using the Jewish calendar, you will come to the day that Jesus Christ entered on Palm Sunday, his triumphant entry. And... Uh, you also will note that that was by a decree by Artaxerxes Longamanus, uh, who made that particular pronouncement. And uh, that's 173,880 days is a, a date that is prophetic in nature because the 173,880th day is the time that uh, uh, Jesus entered 
marching from March 14, 445 B.C., he entered on Palm Sunday. Uh, and there's a wee bit of a problem there because God had already prophesied that it would take 490 days, according to Daniel chapter 7, uh, verse 24 through 27. Uh, and I would refer you back to that doctrine which would make it clear. Seven years are missing. And those are the seven years that we've been talking about. Uh, that God owes the Jew. That's in verses 24, 25, 26, 27 of Daniel. But I don't want to try to teach the 70th week here because that's not our purpose. But uh, uh, the chart is available on the internet, westbankbiblechurch.com. All right, now let's look at an expanded translation. By the way, that leaves seven years of the tribulation. And in the middle of the seven years will be the abomination of desolation. Uh, but uh, once more, you can also go to westbankbiblechurch.com, go down and click under tribulation, and uh, learn a great deal. But we're not here to teach that right now. We're here to teach the last half of the revelation. And in that regard, we need to take a look at Revelation 12, verses 5 and 6 by way of an expanded translation. But that's Daniel's 70th week, and I want to give credit to a guy by the name of Chuck Missler who came up with that chart. It makes it very clear how God owes Israel 490 years, but he hasn't done anything with the seven of those 490 and that's the seven years of the tribulation that he still owes the Jew. And he's going to give it to them someday when uh, he again calls his church home. And we all look forward to that. Okay, now let's see what we can glean from the Spanish translation of Revelation 12, 5 and 6. Mary gave birth to the God-man, and named him Jesus. This is the same God-man who at the second advent will rule all the nations of the world with an iron fist. Because of Israel's rejection of our Lord, however, the Christ will snatched up to God, and in his ascension, he was caused to sit at the right side of the Father, in the place of honor, in the third heaven. The woman Israel later, in the great tribulation, will flee in the same manner as Mary and Joseph did when they fled to Egypt. They will flee into the waiting arms of various Gentile nations, where she will be protected for, guess what, 1,260 days. Heard that before. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I am told by my partner that I said 490 days one time, and I said 490 years another time. But uh, it's actually 490 years. Technically, it's actually 477. Seven zeros to zero, seven, seven, four, nine, 49. 
and it's 490 years are determined upon my people. That's in Daniel chapter, uh, again, uh, 7. Uh, and I apologize. So it's uh, 490 years determined upon my people to make an end of sin, it says, and to bring in salvation to Israel. But... Uh, my apologies. I think we'll be okay. You think we'll be all right, David? I hope you all forgive us. All right. Uh, I think we're going to cut it off right there. And next uh, lesson we'll be picking up with uh, Revelation verse chapter 12, verse 7. Thank you for being with us today. We do appreciate it. Uh, we wish you were there with you in person. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Pastor Merritt, could you uh, close us out with a prayer? Father, we are grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and to study your word. I would certainly ask that if you're out there and you have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to do that right now, right where you are. Just simply tell God the Father, I'm believing on God the Son and on the promise of the word, you will be saved. Recall it is faith alone. In Christ alone that saves you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Until next time, so long.